Romans 5, 2. It says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's um, just back up. I'm not going to do a whole big review, but remember Paul goes through and declares justification by faith alone at the end of chapter 3, and then he uses Abraham as an example of justification by faith alone in chapter 4. And then we saw last week, therefore, meaning what I just said, what I just taught you, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the, I don't know if you remember my points from last week, I, but I think I missed one point that I think was uh, very important, and I'm going I'm to bring it out here just for a second. But it was of having a false peace with God. Obviously, if you're justified by faith, you have peace with God. But there's some of those that think that they're justified by faith. They may not even know what that even is. But they think they have a peace with God. They, just, they think they have a peace with God. And no matter what you tell them, they have a peace with God, right? That's a dangerous position to be in, right? That's, that's the position, you know, as believers, we, we struggle, right? I think we can all say this, that sometimes... Maybe I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching against sin, and you're thinking, oh, am I even saved? The false, the one that has that false peace doesn't think that. They think I'm fine with God. Now we know we are, but it's not because of our actions, right? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ, this is what it said. So there was this false peace with God. And be careful that you don't have that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key there, right? That you know that you're justified by faith in Christ alone. And therefore, you have peace with God. So our three points for today is one is granting access, two is standing in grace, and three is glorying in glory. So the first point here is granting access. So this word, it says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. This word here for access means, it means an introduction or an admission or a bringing to. This is obviously tied with the last verse, right? It's not like we pull this one verse out of context. This is what can happen if you go verse by verse sometimes. You pull one verse out and you completely forget about everything else that's going around because you're expounding so much on that one verse. But this is tied to the last verse. It's a by whom also, by whom obviously was Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. It says we have access into this grace. Yet, he previously mentions peace with God. That's the grace I believe he's talking about. The grace of peace with God. We have access into the grace of peace by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access into this grace wherein we stand. This grace of being at peace with God. By Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to peace with God. It's by Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, it's by Jesus Christ that we have this introduction 
That's what the word means. Acts is an introduction or admission or a bringing to. We have an introduction to peace with God. We have admission to peace with God. He has brought us in. Do you all see that? To use the picture of admission, we all know what admission is, right? It's saying we're going to the theater. We're going to the theater. You've got to pay for the admission, right? But it's like Christ has already bought your ticket for you and brings you into the director of the theater, right? And where you are granted full access. Now that's a little small picture. It's much, much greater than that, is it not? This, the reality is, is the admission was paid for in His blood. He paid for the admission for you to have access with peace with God by His blood. The same one that paid your ticket with His blood raises from the dead, right? Then comes and takes you by the hand and walks you into the presence of the King. It's all on Him, right? By whom? That's actually where our text goes too. It goes from justification, as we saw, to peace, to standing in the grace of God, to rejoicing, to glory. So it goes from justification to glory, just like Paul does in Romans chapter 8, if you all are familiar with that. For whom he did predestinate, them he also called. For whom he called, them he also justified. For whom he justified, them he also glorified. So in Romans 8, it goes from predestination to justification, or from predestination to calling to justification to glorification. Here we see it goes from justification to glorification. Yet all of it, all of it, is by whom? That's what the text says. We can't miss that in our text. That's, that's, a, that's the important part of the text. By whom, right? If we miss this, we may be heretics. And you're like, really? I'm like, yes. If you think you have access to grace, into grace by any other means, then by whom you're not saved. Paul's already stated this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship. It's by Christ that we receive grace. This again takes it to, back to a very fundamental truth of Christianity. It's by grace we are saved, right? By grace alone, right? Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Let me say this. I know as Reformed folks, and we're, obviously we like... Reformation Day, we like to celebrate Reformation Day and think back to the men of the past that stood and, and maybe died so the church would grow, so God's name would be lifted up, so the gospel would go forth, so the kingdom would spread throughout the earth. But we as Reformed folks, we love what we call the five solas, right? You know, we call sola fide, sola gratia, sola deo gloria, sola scriptura. Solus Christus. These are obviously Latin terms. We don't, we don't, if I say that to anybody in the, in the world right now, they're going to think I'm speaking. Well, I would be speaking Latin to them, right? But in English, it's obviously, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, by Scripture alone. We call them solas, right? That's what we call it, the five solas. But let me mention this. They are not solos. They're solas. They're not solos. You understand what I'm saying there? What I mean by that is they do not stand alone. In this sense, we may be saved by grace alone, 
but it's a grace given by Christ alone for God's glory alone. We may be saved through faith alone, but it's given, that faith is given by grace alone, and that faith is in Christ alone for God's glory alone. They're all tied together. You see that? So when we're saved, we're saved by grace. It includes our faith in Christ and the person and work of Christ. They aren't solo. Yes, you're saved by grace, but that grace is by whom? By Christ, right? If there's no Christ, there's no grace. I hope we see this. I hope we live like this. It's not, I, I mentioned this on Wednesday. It's good to have a whole bunch of doctrine in your head, right? But it means nothing if, it, if your life's not changed. So hopefully we live like that. Not looking to our faith, but by faith looking to Christ. That's what our life should be like, right? By faith we should be looking to Christ in all things. Not just when we come here on Sunday. Not just every other Wednesday when we come. But in all things. In every area of your life, Christ should be there. And I know is by whom that we have everything we need. And I know oftentimes we forget this. And we think it's by our strength that we have anything. But I want to remind you, what did Christ say? Without me, you can do what? Nothing. nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And this is why we preach Christ. And not the law. And not works. We preach Christ. This is why Paul says, whom we preach in Colossians chapter 1. He says, whom we preach. You notice that, right? Whom we preach. He doesn't say what we preach. You can go to, to the Christian bookstore and see all kinds of stories about what to preach. Five things for this and ten things for that. How about the one thing? Christ and Christ crucified. That's what we preach. Christ crucified, risen, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. For it's by this person and His work that you have access into this grace wherein we stand. It's by your union with Him that you have walked into the presence of God with peace. So we have access into this grace where we stand by Christ. And this is the only way in which access is granted. That's it. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, right? There's, that's the only way to have peace with God, to have access granted to have peace with God, is through Christ. And through, it says, by faith, in Christ. There's one way, and it's Him. Second point here, standing in grace. First point is access, granting access, or access granted. Standing in grace. Notice in our text, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We stand in grace. This makes me think first a picture of total depravity in this sense. Do dead people stand? How many, besides maybe Weekend at Bernie's, how many, how many people have we ever seen dead people standing? They don't stand, do they? So in order to stand, 
You must be alive. And we stand in grace. Or in the words of Christ said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. So you must be made alive in order to stand. And we stand in grace. We approach the throne of grace because we stand in grace, which is granted to us in Christ by faith. Today, if you're in Christ, you have union with Christ, which means that you are one in Christ and one with Christ. This is, we have, that's what really salvation is. It's the fact that when you, when you believe upon Christ, you have union with Christ. So when the Father looks at you, what does He see? Does He see Jesse? Does He see Jamie? No, He sees Christ. Even at your worst times, even in the middle of your sin, when the Father looks at you, He does not see you in your sin. He sees Christ. And that sin, that very sin that you're committing at that time, was already paid for and gone. And it says, one of the most amazing portions of Scripture, you know, um, God being omniscient, it says He forgets our sins, right? He's omniscient. It means they're done away in Christ. So we approach the throne because we have union with Christ. So if you're standing in Christ today, you're standing in grace. And what is grace? It's unmerited favor, right? It's getting what you don't deserve. So you're standing in something that you didn't earn. You didn't earn the grace. You didn't earn being in Christ, but you're standing there. Because why? Because of Christ. By whom we have access. By Christ is why you stand. He earned your standing in grace. It's because of Him that you've been brought out of death and into life by which you stand in grace. There's another truth here. First, you must be made alive. You must be born. You must be, you must be alive to stand in grace, right? Dead men don't stand in grace. But there's another truth here. And I think the text would at least imply by our standing, and it's a boldness. We can stand boldly. Let's look at a verse real quick. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.16. Will you read that with you there, Jesse? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It says confidence in ESV. It says boldly. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Say me. There's different words. But my word here is boldly, so we're going to have to go with that one. I believe this text in Romans ties into this text in Hebrews. They're both pretty much saying the same thing, right? It's by whom we have access into grace in which we stand. It's the same picture here in our Hebrews. If you look back up, we don't need to look there, but it says, it's seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's that? Christ. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. It's seeing then that you have this great high priest. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. By whom? Right? 
by our great high priest. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. So it's by whom we have access. And now we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let me tell you something that this does not mean though. Because I think some people like to use this verse and others to, to teach this. But it doesn't mean that we come flippantly before God in prayer. It's not like, oh God, what's up bro? Right? How's it hanging, man? That's not how we come before the throne of grace. That's not what it means to be bold when you come into the throne of grace, is it? We come reverently. As it states in Hebrews 12, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then it tells us why. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. Is that how you walk into the throne of a consuming fire? God is merciful? Yes. God is kind? Yes. God is loving? Yes. But we are still creation. Coming into the throne room of the Creator. And we come with reverence, but we come boldly. What does this mean if it doesn't mean irreverent? It means the blood of the Son of God was spilt so you could approach the throne of grace, so you could stand in grace. You have access by His blood. You ever wonder, why, why do we pray in Jesus' name? It's not like it's some just magical formula like, we say a prayer and it's abracadabra and then all of a sudden it's granted to us. We come and we pray in Jesus' name because it's because we're pleading His blood in the throne room. That's what we're doing. When we say in Jesus' name, it's, it's I'm praying to you, God, because your blood was spilled. And I'm bringing forth the blood and saying, please answer this petition. It was spilled for me to walk into the throne room. You have access to boldly come before the throne of grace by His blood. This is similar to the Old Testament high priest, if y'all are familiar with that. When they went into the holies of, Holy of Holies, you know, that was, the, that was the room they called the Holiest of All or the Holy of Holies. Um, nobody went in there but the high priest. And when he came in, guess what he brought with him? He brought blood. He didn't just walk in there all flippantly, skip in and whatever. He came in there with blood. And he went behind the veil, right? Nobody else could go in there. It took the men, the veil was so big, it took a, a, 70 men to open it for the, for the high priest to walk in there. And then they closed it behind him. And he went in there by himself with blood. To do what? To make intercession for the people. That's what the priest did in the old covenant. The high priest. And then we come to the new covenant and what happens. When, well, first, the old covenant, the, the high priest would go out there and he'd bring blood and he'd sprinkle it on, upon the mercy seat for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And then he would take their sins to God and ask for forgiveness. And then Christ comes. What happened when Christ rose from the grave? The veil was torn. That veil from the Holy of Holies was torn. There, it, it, was, it was actually during his crucifixion. But when he was on the cross and the earthquake and, and the veil was torn and it says it was torn from top to bottom. 
I always mention this because first, you and I couldn't just go in there and rip the veil, but even if it were possible, we surely could not go up to the very top of the veil and rip it from the top down. Meaning it was God that said, the way is open. You can come into the th throne room. You can come into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because my son is dead. And he will be raised in three days. And when you come, you come in his name. That's a, what a beautiful picture God has given us, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one more thing that we can learn from this is that we can stand. Not just, first, you must be made alive in order to stand, right? Dead men don't stand. Second, we can, we can come to boldly unto the throne of grace. And thirdly, we can stand. We can stand in grace. This word can be translated to stand firm. So we can stand firm in grace. This means we are easily moved. We stand firm, immovable, by grace in Christ. Nothing can move us if we're believers. Nothing. If you're in Christ, you have full access and stand firm in grace. This is the opposite of what Paul said to those apostates in Galatians, right? When he, Galatians 1 6, where he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, I marvel that you were so soon removed. What happened? They were moved. We cannot be moved. We stand and stand firm in grace. They did not stand. They maybe had their false peace, as I mentioned, right? They had this false peace. They come into the church and they got this false peace. But then another gospel come around and they are moved. We don't do that. We stand firm in grace. That's the difference between a true believer and a false believer. One says, I believe the gospel, right? They say, I believe the gospel. This is one of the things where it says, if a man say he have faith and hath not works, can faith save him? In James chapter 2, that people like to say, well, you must be justified by works. It's saying, if, if a man say he have faith. One says they believe the gospel, but they're like the parable of soils, where it says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That's the false believer. They seem to believe for a time. They may seem on fire for the Lord, right? Y'all met them, right? They come into the church and they're on fire for the Lord. So much so that it makes you feel guilty because you're not doing enough. Because they're always doing something for the Lord, right? Always. They always have some kind of work. Their work puts you to shame. Yet their works are unfruitful. They don't really know Christ. Or better yet, Christ doesn't know them. He will say, what? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these marvelous works in your name? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, that's the key, right? Oh, Lord, haven't we done all these marvelous works in your name? You're looking to your works. It isn't, but Christ, but Lord, 
I trust in you. I trust in your name. I trust in your person and work. It's Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these things? It's not a, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I claim. That's what we stand in as believers, right? That's it. That's why we sing songs called Amazing Grace and Marvelous Grace and All I Have is Christ. It's because that grace by which we stand and it's by whom? We stand in grace and it's by Him. It's by Christ. Whom? By whom? Whom that died for me? Whom that lived for me? Whom that resurrected for me? Whom that ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father for me and is making intercession for me? It's about Him. We stand in Him. We identify in Him. He is our righteousness. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. And that's why we stand. And to close that point and move on to the next one, that's why we rejoice. Notice it says that there in Romans 5. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. This isn't in my notes, but I often wonder, you know, sometimes when we come together and like we're embarrassed to sing. I know my singing is horrible. But we rejoice. I don't sing for you. If you don't like my singing, oh well. I don't sing for you. And you don't sing for me. We sing for Him, right? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This word here for rejoice, it's, it can actually be translated glory. So we're glorying in glory. And it's actually translated glory more often than not. The Thayer's Greek Dictionary actually gives three definitions and they're all glory. It's either to glory, to glory on account of a thing, or to glory in a thing. So it's all glory. But it could also be translated to boast, or to rejoice, or to exalt. So we boast, or glory, or exalt, in hope of the glory of God. We glory in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that why we exist, though, brethren? But let me ask you, like the catechism. Do y'all know this? What is the chief end of man? Yeah. He said it backwards, but man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our chief end. What does that mean? That means that's why we exist. Is to glorify God. That's our boast. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice in God getting the glory, right? And it says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. However, I think there's more to this in our text. I don't simply think it means we rejoice in God getting glory, even though we should do, and we do. I believe this is talking about the great hope of Christianity. What's that? Our hope is what's to come. That we, re that we have hope which is in heaven. The life after this life. 
We rejoice because we have it too, right? This isn't a hope that we say, I hope I get to heaven. Christians never need to say that, right? I hope I make it to heaven. I hope I get to go to heaven. If you're a Christian, you're going there. There's no hoping about it. If you're in Christ today, you are going there. And that's why we rejoice. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the fact that as Paul says in chapter 8, he also glorified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's already done. It's finished, brethren. Your hope is in heaven, and you rejoice in that. You can glory in that. If that doesn't make you want to serve more, there's nothing that will. This is what freezes up to serve. The fact that it's finished. You don't serve for salvation, but like Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are a workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we're in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not vice versa. Rejoice in that, brother. And give all the glory to God. Because it's by Him that you stand in grace. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I actually have uh, more application than what I typically do. But we'll get through it real quick. First... You have access to the throne room of God, as was mentioned. How often are you there? How long do you stay there? We have access to the throne room of the King of Kings. How often do we go there? And when we go there, how long do we stay there? Seriously, we don't live in a monarchy, but if we did, and the King said, just come to me and ask me of anything, I'll give it to you. Would you take advantage of that? Earthly-wise? If, if the king of the United States says, I know we have one that thinks he's a king of the United States, but he's not. But if we had a king in the United States and he says, come unto me, anything good that you ask of me, I will grant to you. We would take advantage of that, would we not? The king of kings has said that. The king of kings. The kings that all the kings of the earth will bow down to, has said that to us. He said, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. It also says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We don't believe that, though, do we? If we did, we'd be on our knees more, would we not? We would pray without ceasing, as Paul says. We would be at his feet every day. We would be like, as I... Uh, as Martin Luther said, he said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Have you guys ever done that? I'm like, I got so much to do today, I need to spend three hours in prayer. We don't because we're Americans, right? We're bred different, right? We're autonomous. We're free. We can do it ourselves, right? I don't need your help. I can do everything myself. Leave me alone. Don't tread on me. <laughs> this stuff doesn't apply to the kingdom of God. It doesn't. All those things, they don't apply to the kingdom of God. 
They may be true to the state, and yes, some of that is good. The state ought to step back from us, right? But that doesn't apply to the kingdom of God. You aren't autonomous. You aren't free. You are some, some rogue person just out there by yourself if you're part of the kingdom of God. That does not exist in Christianity. They went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. Why? Because we stay together. You're not autonomous. You are to be part of a church. And you are to serve in that church. Being part of a body, literally, do you think you can forsake other parts of the body? I mean, think of this, like I said, literally. Can a hand be effective without the rest of the body? I mean, your hand is one of the most effective parts of the body, but alone, how good is it? It's worthless, right? A hand just laying there is just worthless. It needs the rest of the body. And if you're a believer here today, you are part of the body of Christ and needed by the rest of the body for your gifts and talents that I don't have. You see that? You have gifts and talents that I don't have. And somebody else has gifts and talents that you don't have. So what do we do? We come together as a body. Just like our human bodies, right? I mean, I'm not writing stuff with my ear. I'm using my hand, right? I'm not looking out of my feet. I'm using my eyes. One part of my body is not, does not have everything. Just like you and I don't have every single gift and talent that God has given to man. Each of us have something. So don't forsake us, nor your gifts. Now obviously that's a little rabbit trail, but you have access to the throne room of, throne room of God by the blood of Christ. Take full advantage of it. Plead His blood often. I say this with the utmost reverence. But hold God to His Word. Do you ever think that? God, you said this. I'm praying for it through the blood of Christ. Please grant my petition for your glory. God, you said this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Praying God's Word. Second thing is, Rejoice. First is, you have access to the throne room. Spend your time there. Second, rejoice, brethren, for you are seated in heavenly places. It's time to rejoice. You have been saved. You have a place reserved for you in heaven. You are a pilgrim here. A sojourner, right? This is not your country. We have a heavenly country. Is that not a call to rejoice? I mean, this country can make all the, all the stupid decisions it wants to. And yes, we fight against some of it for the good, good of others, though, right? However, we don't belong here. We're aliens. We're ambassadors from another country. That's what the Scriptures teach us. And that country that we're from will take over this country someday. So rejoice and be glad. Not just that, but no matter what country you're a citizen of here today, 
In a hundred years, it won't matter. If this nation or any nation still exists, in a hundred years, it won't matter if you're a citizen there. Like I said, I'm not saying, this is not saying that we don't work to make things right here, but a realization that we have a better country waiting for us. That's why we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We will be there someday, and that's cause to rejoice, to boast in God. Paul actually has these two points of application right next to one another. I'm going to turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16. Paul says, Rejoice evermore. In verse 17, he says, Pray without ceasing. You see that? Rejoice evermore. How often should you rejoice? According to that verse. <laughs> Forever, right? What about the next verse? Pray without ceasing. How often should we be praying then? All the time. Because by whom you have access into this grace where you stand. Right? It ties back to that verse. We pray without ceasing. We rejoice forevermore because we have access into this grace by Christ. One last point real quick. If you don't know Christ today, you have no reason to rejoice. You don't have access to God. You are not peace with God. And His face is turned against you. He hears not your prayers. And you are outside the grace in which we stand. Don't let this message fall on deaf ears. Turn to Him today, right? If you don't know, or if you don't know if you know, don't leave here today without knowing. You can see me or any of the other saints in here before you leave. And we'll be glad to talk about it, right? We'd be more than willing to point you to Him. Because that's what we want. We want everybody in here to be standing in the grace of God by faith in Christ alone. Amen.